Hi guys, it's Josh Rubin here at Douglas Elliman back in New York with my friends Jeff Thibodeau and Darren Langill of Redline Canada. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really Thanks, excited Josh. to have you guys because uh, you know the market's starting to turn here a little bit in New York, and I'm sure you guys are feeling it as well in Canada. Um, tell us a little bit about what, what you guys are experiencing just in the last week or so. You want to take that, Darren? Can I go first? Yeah, sure. I'll yeah, take okay. it. Um, I'm, I'm the in-house analyst. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're experiencing the same thing I think all the major states are and all in North America, which is like mid-March, everything got locked up. Transactions dropped by about 50 to 60% for six to eight weeks. And then it's slowly the buyers have been returning back to, uh, we're not quite back to normal. We're maybe a week or two behind the American markets. Um, but yeah, we're in the same boat as you. Cool. Yeah, you know, I know, I, I know you guys are in different places. Redline is uh, is pretty dynamic that way. And that uh, Jeff, you're based in Toronto, and Darren, you're out in Calgary, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, Calgary's. You know, about 1.1 million people in the greater area we serve. We are seeing that we're we're just about at March. Like when we went to lockdown, our market has kind of gotten back to that state. So we see ourselves as a full two months behind the actual market, uh, but the trend is good. It's going the right direction. Are we gonna get all the way there? I don't know, and how quick? Yeah, well, I think no one really knows, right? We're all sort of operating a little bit of a vacuum depending on how hard hit our respective markets are uh, you know, by the pandemic. But it's interesting that even though you guys are north of the border, you're still, you know, pretty pretty well impacted by it. Uh, even though, you know, Jeff's in more of a metropolitan area, and Darren, you're, you know, sort of a, a little bit more of a widespread market, right? Well, yeah, actually, I'm I'm kind of outside of the Toronto area by about an hour, so we're in like a uh, a feeder city. You know, we're part of the general, uh, you know, commuter area. But uh, our town, like as we sit right now, there's only nine active cases, and you know, five are in the hospital and four identified at home. So at the local level, it, it doesn't feel very dangerous out there, but we're under all the same restrictions that, you know, a major city like Toronto or, or you guys in New York are under with stay at home rules and limitations on our business. So it's it's actually quite, uh, it's quite strange to be honest. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine how it might be a little strange to be in a community which, you know, directly speaking is not as impacted by the virus, but you're still under the same restrictions as the metro area. I mean, do we think that these restrictions have actually helped limit the spread and and maybe that's what we're sort of operating under the the sort of false pretense that it's really not an issue in communities like yours? Oh, no, definitely. I, I mean, I think everything we've done as a, as a smaller community, and the, it, there's tons of cases only an hour down the highway, right? So um, I think our community has done an incredible job of listening and, and locking down, even though it didn't feel like it was an imminent threat here. So it, our, our healthcare system locally hasn't been overwhelmed. And, and that should be a good sign that we can start to get back to regular old life um, before this thing's, you know, over. Yeah. Now, Darren, out in Calgary, are you seeing that uh, the buyers and sellers are sort of apprehensive to commit to either listing or putting in offers? Or is it more or less you know, I hate to use the cliche term, is it more or less business as usual? No, we experienced a lot of what you guys did and across the states, we saw an incredible drop down to the place where we were about 70% off of where we should have been in that that period, say that first couple of weeks of April where everybody, I call it the shock was happening. Uh, but now it's uh, the pending deals, like the deals under contract are just 
as far along as we were starting this. So it, it, we've seen Calgary seen an appetite to, to shake this off a little bit and get back to trying to make their buying and selling plans a reality. Uh, it's not where we want it to be, but it's surprising how quick it has come back. Uh, and our agents have seen it across the board with listings, pendings, uh, coming to market. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic given the bounce that we've seen in the equity markets and what we might experience here once things do open up. We're actually starting to see an uptick in online activity. Uh, I'm working on two deals right now that we sort of did under the dark of night, uh, if you will. And uh, you know, we're, we're seeing some listings coming on the market. We're ramping them up, doing some marketing here. So you know, I'm optimistic that we'll see a nice little rebound. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see one of the busiest summers that we've experienced. Um, you know, wh what do you guys think will be uh, the sort of climate upcoming in the next two, three, four months? Well, Darren and I have uh, slightly different challenges in our markets. Uh, you know, in the uh, greater Toronto area, it's been a very booming market and we've been pressed with uh, very low inventory levels. So one of the challenges with, with this is that it paused both supply and demand. Um, so inventory is actually lower this year than it was last year, even though transactions are down. A, a lot of it doesn't make sense to an analyst. So uh, I'm feeling that same pace as you, Josh. And now I'll let Darren speak for himself. They've got compounding issues with oil prices and, and Calgary that, uh, that may have a different impact over there. Yeah, that's right, Darren. You, you know, I know that Calgary is, is really rooted in the energy sector. And of course, with the crazy uh, oil market that we've seen earlier this past or earlier this year, I should say, with uh, oil going negative, uh, where you actually had to take delivery of it, if God forbid you should own some of those contracts. What did that do to your market? Yeah, it's we were already pretty beaten down for the since 2014. Uh, we we have really struggled to get back to some confidence in around consumer competence in, in our market. This is certainly not helping. The conversation though has been mostly focused on COVID uh, along these last two months. And it's crazy to think that among negative oil prices, that is second or third in the conversation. I think Calgarians are just used to this low energy price point. And we have some internal politics within our country that are really hurting us and our ability to get our product to market. So yeah, it's there and it's it's a new reality, but our big, big companies have had to be incredibly lean for five or six years to maintain operations under a general global low oil environment. This was just a new level that we had never experienced before. Yeah, so you have a double challenge there between uh, you know the the pandemic and the virus, and and then you also have the energy sector, which has been hurting for the last couple of years. I can only imagine what it must be like to uh, to operate in that environment. Yeah, there's one good news story that continues to shake uh, come out as Jeff and I are very big data geeks in a sense that we look at the stuff pretty heavily and like to position our agents ahead of the market and, and with some knowledge. And we had an incredible high amount of inventory, which was a lot different than what I know Jeff experienced and as well as what a lot of the, the great American cities are experiencing. So our inventory was oversupplied and this has become a giant reset button for us. We currently sit in our market about 23% less than we were at this point last year, which is exactly the reset we needed to get our supply and demand back in, into a good correlation so that we don't have future price declines. 
Huh. And so where does that uh, translate in as much as um, an absorption rate is concerned? Because we in real estate often refer to inventory levels based on absorption rates, which is, of course, the, the number of months that it would take to absorb the current level of supply. Yeah, if we based it off of April's numbers, it was horrible. Uh, and our, our real estate board spoke to it being 10 months of supply. But wow. again, I think it's a bit of a false number because I would never correlate off of the worst month in history toward what the trends will come. You know, as we know, this is a pause. It's not a people didn't find their real estate elsewhere for the last two months, like a hamburger joint or something else you had to go and consume. Right. They paused and this will come back. And and I'm and we are seeing it this weekend. I put a home on the market. Um, it went in multiple offers. Uh, in in this in this situation, it can still happen despite us being hit from oil prices, stocks, as well as of course the pandemic. Yeah, and so Darren, the house that you listed uh, this past weekend that you went into multiple offers in this environment where you have almost ten months of supply, what do you attribute that to? What made it uh, what what made it different than the rest of the houses? Well, like you guys have been talking about it, there is this pent up demand and May long weekend here in Canada, we have a holiday here today. Uh, there's, we've been, we've, we've been wanting to get out and, and people have been wanting to make their life happen again. So it is priced well, of course we market well, that's, that's the obvious here with us at Redline, but um, people have been waiting. And as you know, buyers come out usually before sellers do. And there's this, there's this little situation right now with our inventory being so low that it's causing this to happen. Another one of my agents was showing nine homes over the weekend and five of the nine were under contract before she could go view them. So, wow. you know, because the supply has switched so much, uh, it's, it's, it's created an unlikely, you know, almost seller's market. I don't even want to say that because I'll get smacked beside the head, but the reality <laughs> is the data is showing that there's this little pocket to buy and to sell, you know, right now that's, that's starting to ramp up. Sure. You know, that's uh, that's pretty interesting that you're seeing this sort of uh, almost this uh, transference of power, right? This shift because the inventory is contracting and then you're seeing buyers come out, as you put it, ahead of the sellers. You know, I actually think that we're going to see sellers on the sidelines pretty much across the board. And, and it's not going to be until September that they realize, hey, you know what? It's actually it's actually the water is clear. We can we can jump back into the pool. And then, of course, here in the United States, we're going to see the elections impacting confidence uh, going forward. And so we're going to see a little bit of a waffle there in the fourth quarter here in the United States. But you guys don't actually have anything uh, uh, like that, do you, Jeff? You don't have a presidential election this year, do you? Or prime minister? And our politics don't tend to affect the market as heavily as, as your guys switch between you know potential um, party swings. But we do... Um, you know, we, I think we're all still waiting to see what the economic impact still to come, you know, with all the people out of work, you know, even if this is, we're going back to work soon, some of those jobs aren't returning and, and some people's confidence isn't returning for another year or so. So it's going to be interesting to see like what percentage of transactions just are evaporated from the 2020 market rather than, you know, ultimate price drops or, or anything catastrophic. I think we're just going to see a you know, 20 to 30% retraction in total transactions this year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you look at the the sort of stay at home order, you know, coming into uh, effect, uh, you know, about March 13th, which was a Friday here. And then if we get back into the swing of things on or about, say, June 6th to June 15th, 
you know, that's about a quarter, right? So for you to say 20 to 30% retraction, that's pretty much on point because we've seen about a 70 to 80% drop in contract volume just while we've been at home. Things are still happening. Uh, they're ha- they're happening on a more opportunistic level based on what we're experiencing here in New York City. Um, so between the time that we're sort of out of the workforce, not able to show homes, and uh, you know the retraction and contract sign volume, I wouldn't be surprised if that's you know right on the money there, Jeff. So you know in in your area, you know sort of red line in the Toronto metro area, what are you seeing in terms of uh, you know volume? you know, just in the last couple of months? I mean, are you are you actually able to show homes or do you have to you know, sort of stay away? Yeah, I mean, luckily, uh, right when the whole shutdown happened in our province, um, we as realtors and lawyers, title offices, land registry offices were already part of an essential workers list that had already been pre-established. So it only took a day to kind of confirm that. Um, so we kind of had a one day of pause where we didn't know, you know, the stake of our licenses. But then after that, it's been up to all individual contractors and brokers to, you know, follow social distancing rules. Um, open houses in my province were made illegal, but we had already stopped them a week and a half in advance at our company. Um, so it's really the consumers that are deciding if they feel comfortable, either listing their house and potentially having strangers, um, you know, walk through it, or if the buyers are comfortable to be out there. But uh, legislatively, we've been allowed to trade through the whole thing. Wow, that's great because you know in New York here we were deemed essential pretty early on in the process, but there's one caveat in that we can't actually meet people to show them the house. So yes, we're essential, but and so we're supposed to be doing so virtually. And so if somebody wants to see a listing, uh, we can do one of three things: we can either go to the listing ourselves, show it via FaceTime or a similar app, so that you know we're interacting with the consumer and telling them about it or we can have a a video walkthrough and we can schedule a Zoom call on which we can play that video walkthrough for the buyer, Um, or we can do, you know, send them a 3D tour or a link to the the Matterport or a similar application tour uh, for them to see it. Um, So it's been a little bit of a challenge and there has been rumors of of agents getting fined uh, for actually meeting prospective buyers and prospective tenants uh, so it's a little dicey. In fact, I spoke to a colleague of ours this morning who told me that he had actually heard of the Department of State, which of course is the governing body for licensure in New York uh, State, uh, revoking licenses simply because people were continuing to show homes. So we certainly don't want to come on the wrong side of the Department of State. And you know, then we have our friends in Pennsylvania who are actually still deemed to be not essential. So they can't do any activity uh, surrounding real estate. They can't show. They can't uh, list a house. You know, it's it's very cumbersome. So, you know, clearly people need to buy and sell. But I think that the more that we're not able to actually help people is the more pent up demand that there will be. I mean, I, I went and got a haircut a couple of weeks ago. Even haircuts are illegal. So I, I went to a, you know, basement speakeasy place to get a haircut. And I see that, uh, you know, Darren's hair there is uh, is the longest I've ever seen it, but yeah, you're looking right? pretty stylish there. Look at that, Jeff. And I know last week you had a beard that you that you sh- shaved off. Um, so you know times are <laughs> changing, but uh, you know we're seeing a, we're seeing a lot of changes afoot in just how we live our lives and and how we're able to sort of help our clients. 
It's been really challenging because housing is one of those things that from the outside, sure, a lot of transactions can seem non-essential. Like you don't have to move. You didn't have to put your house up for sale. But like a lot of people who have been involved in the sale process realize that it's a big moving ship. If you've started the move process, um, you can't just pump the brakes on it. You could be left homeless in between two houses or you could be left owning two houses um, and you may be relocated through work or, or other reasons financially. Um, so it's really important, I think, that real estate is deemed an essential service, but then it requires us in the industry to behave as professionals and not use that as a, you know, a free pass to just go and have business as usual. Right. I mean, there's a fine line because, you know, this past weekend, there were uh, articles in the New York press about people going to, uh, to bars and, you know, the bars couldn't actually host them inside. So they were uh, doing the so-called delivery uh, pickup of a, you know, pickup of a pri of an order that was placed prior and people were coming together with their friends and they were getting the, the drinks and stuff uh, through a window or an open door with a table set up in the opening. And they were just hanging out outside of the bars because it was a beautiful summer-like weekend here in New York City. People are clearly congregating both uh, in situations like that and in beaches and parks that are reopening. And so uh, it, it's definitely a little bit of a dicey proposition just because we're really not out of the woods yet, are we? No, I mean, if you think about everything we've all done as a, as a society to, 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 to pull through together and work this stay-at-home order to our benefit, um, you know, the virus hasn't gone away, right? I mean, we have to, and Jeff and I have really tried to lead the company from a place of empathy and, and to lead in with that so that we can filter our decisions and how we would guide our agents and decisions we, you know, have to have to make as company owners through that filter. But again, Jeff mentioned it really nicely in the fact that the consumer's behavior is starting to change and open up. And of course, in a case like this, I think from a business owner, it is nice to, to, to go with the consumer and ride that way rather than try to be in front because that could, that could cause a really difficult position for a company to be in because it is a very sensitive situation. Each one of us are one arm's length away from somebody who's had an, a, an extreme effect with this disease. So. Yeah. And, you know, being in New York and it being such a sort of uh, a focal point for the pandemic, you know, I've known quite a few people who have either had it or been directly impacted by it. Uh, a couple of colleagues, actually, who, who uh, you know, didn't make it, unfortunately. And so our thoughts are obviously with those who have been directly impacted by it. But it's really important now more than ever when we see a glimmer of hope that we don't, you know, take advantage of it and put the last two to three months uh, to waste um, but but you as company owners, not just have your own uh, immediate business to think about, but but also you know a number of agents. So talk to us a little bit about Redline and the and the culture that you created in the family. How many people are under the Redline umbrella now? Yeah, we've been you know it's been it's been a great ride really since 2017, late to the middle 2016. Jeff and I decided to to partner in together. Uh, he had an incredible operation out out in the GTA area and then we were in Calgary. Uh, collectively now, I think we sit about 125 agents in our two markets between the staff. You know, we probably have, you know, 12, 15 staff and then I run a property management group as well. Um, and both Jeff and, and, and us in our markets run a, a pretty decent investment division focused to, to support that side of the business as well. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a, really incredible thing to bring Jeff in and his skill sets 
into our company and make Redline what it is today, which is a lot different than kind of what I started it when I met you back in 2013. So, yeah. And so when we met Darren, did you, did you actually have your own brokerage or were you under the umbrella of, of another company? No, we've had ours since 2009. Um, we knew we just didn't fit in anybody's sandbox really early on. And my founding business partner, Brett, um, and I started working together as, as early as 2005. Uh, so I was a team and we were a team-based brokerage when I met you, uh, as large as 13 agents. And that was as big as it was, but it was a, a significant size team in our market anyways back then. Uh, and then we changed the model to go with what we call our ultra service model, which was basically taking the, all the things that you and I know about building a, a team and bringing that under a model where our, all the agents at the brokerage can benefit and they're no longer forced under a, a team scenario, but they can utilize the things like marketing, uh, administration, concierge technology that, that you as a team leader, like un, under your model, have to supply. So we do that for the whole brokerage. Wow, that's a, a fantastic model and, and great concept there. And it seems to have done well now that you have over 120 people uh, working with you who clearly believe in the philosophy. Yeah, it's been it's been fantastic, not without its challenges, and we continue to evolve. But uh, you know, this this just just like any other pandemic or situation forces you to evolve. And Jeff and I have been having a lot of fun with seeing what the the next wave of Redline might look like. Uh, but I'll leave Jeff yeah. to talk on a few things as well. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, Jeff, when when you and Darren came together, uh, talk to us a little bit about you know what you'd been doing in your business up until that point. Yeah, well, Darren, we all met. Um, it's probably not a secret to a lot of the viewers through the Tom Ferry coaching organization. And uh, Darren and I were both uh, team leaders. He was leading a team-based real estate brokerage. I was uh, building a team inside of a, a national franchise in my city. And, uh, and we had just come together as mastermind friends, but then what turned from like exciting calls every week to uh, we realized we were both just complaining a lot every week. And I'll give Darren the credit to say he didn't, uh, he didn't wanna go ahead and grow the team any bigger. He said, we gotta make some changes and figure that out. And that's when we kind of decided, hey, let's, instead of just being buddies, let's go into business together. Uh, so it's been really cool to transition too. We kind of took my team uh, from, it was just three people, I guess, on day one that came over. One became my business partner here and the other joined us uh, as an agent. And then we uh, we kind of hit the reset button and, and regrew the brokerage. And it's it's been fun. I think I feel like uh, home now. It feels like the job was designed exactly for me. Wow. And so I know that you, know, you just based on our experience, Jeff, uh, interacting with one another, uh, you can get pretty uh, down and dirty into the nuts and bolts of operations. And um, you know how does that sort of help support the company? What, what types of initiatives have you done individually to help grow the Redline brand? Yeah, I, I mean, I really like, I like working. I like uh, being here at this desk. This is my home office. And so I'm a tinkerer. I'm, I just spend my days in and out of all of our systems, even still trading. Um, the last few weeks, I stepped in uh, to serve some of my own clients just to feel the client empathy and feel what it's like to deal with this situation so we can make sure our solutions are really... Um, tangible. They're not just theoretical. Uh, so yeah, I, lo I love hopping in there. And some of the things that have been exciting, we implemented even before COVID, we we created a virtual workplace where all of our agents in, you know, very geographically different locations can all communicate and we can broadcast messages like this all internally to them. Um, our uh, administration staff was already half working remotely prior to COVID. So it was kind of cool to see that a lot of the things we built into 
our brokerage model just for our own needs. Um, we're already really well positioned to deal with this. Uh, you know, we can't get together anymore scenario. Um, and now we're trying to continue to evolve it with that exact same challenge you talked about earlier, Josh, which is, you know, if we're, we, we can still show a house, but we prefer not to obviously with the virus still out there. And, you know, we've, we don't want to infect our families or, or a client or a, a seller's home. So it's moving later in the process or, or potentially after an offer. Uh, so innovating on all the new media and how we capture that and deliver it potentially to sellers and buyers. Um, it's been really cool because it feels like the gas pedals down on innovation right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you know, put it perfectly innovation, and there are going to be a lot of innovations that come out of this time that we're, you know, forced to be away from our, you know, colleagues and clients, uh, but yet still find a way to you know, sort of push the process forward, you know, whether it be buyers and sellers or colleagues and meetings and, you know, coming up with various strategies and a, you know, more corporate environment, you know, we're all coming together. And one of the main concerns that we're coming away from, from these metropolitan areas is whether or not these workplace habits and cultures are going to be impacted by, you know, of course, being able to work at home and are people still going to uh, uh, necessarily uh, come into work, come into the workplace in order to, you know, communicate and interact with each other and what's that going to do to uh, urban living. Um, so I think that, you know, going forward, New York City is always going to be New York, uh, you know, six, 12 months, 18 months down the line, there will still be fantastic restaurants, Broadway will be opening back up. Uh, there will be events, whether it be, you know, sports events, concerts, et cetera, back at uh, Madison Square Garden. So I think slowly but surely, we're going to see this almost renaissance of New York City. And I think that there will be a lot of good that comes out of this, you know, we don't want to go through this entire process in uh, and come out of it sort of in vain, which is to say that we're not going to learn from it or you know have uh, sort of renewed hope um, and awareness of our surroundings, but at the same time have uh, you know sort of benefits that come out of it. So there's been a lot of discussion about transportation. They're saying avoid public transportation. Well, you know why not get on a bike? Well, it's all about safety, and you know we're, I, I read this morning in fact that bike shops just in the New York City area have experienced just in the last two months, uh, sales that they usually experience inside of a whole year. So, you know, there's a lot of innovations that come out of this. Have you guys seen anything specific uh, on your day-to-day -day life or in your business that is uh, sort of, uh, you know, a reflection of that? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, this it's a reset button on our lives as well, right, Josh? But, you know, Jeff led the way in our company. Uh, we have a really strong culture. One thing about Redline is, is that we really synergize, collaborate together, like a super team in a sense, but our agents aren't on a team. So we've, we've always been very tight. We've been open to sharing. It's been a very a place where people can ask questions and not feel silly and they ask each other a lot. So losing that um, was, a, you know, maybe a little a bit of a fear for us, uh, but we started a daily huddle uh, and it's been going ever since state of emergency started um, where we've done a daily report and Jeff took the lead to speak about the updates in the area, the marketplace needs, the opportunities as agents, how we can work through this. And we've both maintained this for the last 60 days to maintain our cultures. Um, and the feedback we get from our agents is that it's really nice not to feel like you're on an island because we've been forced to be in our little kind of prisons in a sense uh, and uh, locked away from everybody's 
you know, the handshakes and the smiles that you get to see at the office. We have beer on tap in ours, but Jeff's got beer beside him, right? So there's a lot of things that we've <laughs> that we've done to try to keep that going. And I know our red line agents have come out of this with more optimism, I think, because of it. Uh, and I got to give Jeff credit to, to start that idea. At first, I thought, Oh, that's going to be some work. And then now it's, I don't want to let it go. It's been so fun. So, huh. And can you tell us a little bit about the huddle and, and, you know, sort of what you discuss and uh, different topics that you might cover? Yeah. Like, well, I mean, it really, um, yeah, it came out for me in the early days of, of this uh, whole scenario. I found myself seeing all this variety of news and, and realizing just how overwhelming it must be. Um, to get your information and try to sort through it. So I took that on to be my role. I was like, I'm going to go straight to the scientists and to our prime minister and to our, uh, you know, local governing bodies and get the direct reports. And I'm going to be the one that distills it down and gives my team the truth. So at least at my team, there's going to be the least amount of panic um, was my goal from day one. So it centers around a lot of the same stuff you kind of see like, uh, like your governor does, which is yeah. just report the truth, like pull the numbers up, talk about them frankly, don't try to make any big predictions, but say, you know, here's here's how we deal with this. And here's when we think the next phase of it's about to change. And how here's how we're going to deal with that. And just try to be as adult to adult as possible and get everyone through this. It's like none of us caused this or asked for it or deserve it. We're all in it together. So let's just like link arms and, and march through, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you guys are basically just focused on the data and 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 the facts. So you're sort of educating the red line team day to day. And, you know, here's what's come on the market. Here's what's gone pending. Here are the price reductions. Here's what's closed, which, which I really, you know, enjoy. And that's one of the things that, that we started to do and just, you know, reporting on, on the reality of the market. Uh, yes, it's true that there have been, you know, a few renegotiations. Sellers prefer certainty and, and, and buyers want to know that, you know, they're doing the right thing for themselves. Uh, but at the same time, there have been a number of closings here in the in the New York City market. And there have even been some things that have come on the market because it's a, it's a good time to list as a seller. If you think about wanting to stand out, why not stand out now? People are home, people are searching online. And the nesting instinct that we all have is higher because we're forced to you know stay in these spaces that maybe are not ideal for us or our families. Hey, I'm going to add to that too. You you were saying before about you know New York coming back, and I think it's 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 everything. Everybody wants to come back, and Darren and I both, even in our own home offices, we have these big open concept rooms we call culture centers, where where we gather. We have multiple meetings a week in these wide open picnic tables and and con configurable furniture. Like Darren was saying, beer on tap. Um, and my agents want to come back. They want a meeting. They want a live training. So while all this technology is great, I think the overwhelming you know, human desire to to get back together face to face is going to overwhelm and, and trump everything. That's what we're all pushing towards. I don't think any of us are going to be that comfortable to sit on these Zoom calls for the next you know two years. So, I think the main thing is us all figuring out how to how to how to respect each other's space. You're asking what was going to stay. I hope it stays that you know when we feel sick we stay home regardless of it's coronavirus or anything. And all these just little behaviors we're adapting the way the grocery stores are putting up barriers and stuff. I'm like, I hope all that stuff sticks around and we're just a healthier, more respectful society of each other's personal health because, uh, you know, people were, uh, people were dying of sickness before this one too. And we weren't respect, we were coughing on each other. We're all going to work sick. Um, that's pretty wild. So I hope that's the big change that comes out of all of this. 
Yeah, you know, we always refer to each other as our work family. But, you know, when people are sick, you know, oftentimes I I have to say, hey, if you're feeling sick, it's not a big deal. Let's just stay at home because it's not just about you and your ability to perform. We trust that you'll perform whether you're here or there. If you have something to do, we'll get it done. And we'll get it done as a team because it's the old adage. There's no I in team, right? So if you're on a team, let's have the team support you. I know that uh, one of our guests recently told us, uh, I believe it was – Mark Pattison out in uh, San Diego, he told us that there was an agent of his who had been in a mountain biking crash the day before. He called him from the hospital and said, hey, I have seven or eight appointments tomorrow. You know, what can we do? Mark and his team stepped in, covered all the appointments, no problem. So, you know, there's great benefits to being, you know, in a team environment and, uh, you know, a culture like Redline. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think this whole thing's shown how important our our social circles and our support networks have been because it's at times like this, it's the people closest to you, your family, your neighbors, and hopefully, uh, you know, a tight group of coworkers that are all supporting each other. Because, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I'm not certainly waiting for the government to bail me out of this, right? Like, where it's going to have to be, you know, we're entrepreneurs, we're business, we're all business owners, we're going to have to work our way out of this, and uh, and like I said, we're all in it together. So it's it's one of those unifying things too. I I hope. I hope you guys are experiencing that too, Josh, where it's, it's pulling people together and the news seems to want to pull everybody apart. But I think when you look on the ground and the way everyone's treating each other, it's actually, you know, we're a little more compassionate and a little more helpful of each other because of this. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with that guys, uh, any parting words? Yeah, I guess you know, I'll, I'll start to, to, care, to one little thing to carry on that, that I've noticed is as we've, in, in Calgary, just last week, we were told we started phase one of reopening, uh, and it and you get out there and you start to interact, and people are quite excited about this. But the one thing I realized really quick is everybody's guards are up at a different le- level, and it's one thing I think as us as we get back out there and try to do what we do best and and, and build these relationships, sell homes, all of that, uh, is to continue to be really mindful of. I don't think we've all figured out our own new barriers yet um, in, in, in that layer. And it's going to take a little bit as a society to figure that out. But I noticed there were some people wanting to high five me and give me hugs and some that were, you could tell, were six feet apart. And I think that's the adjustment I think we'll have to go through and know that uh, in, in the past that might seem rude. But now, of course, it's we've learned to respect um, this, this, this personal boundaries we have. And, and I think as a whole, we'll get better out of it. But Josh, I mean, thanks for doing these. I've been watching yours a ton. Uh, it's been really great to see. I love the fact that you're building this online community. I think it's very important. And I don't think any of that goes away as we transition. I've been telling my agents, don't put the pedal away from all the energy you put into figuring out how to do this virtually, because that pedal is important and it's and it, you should never take the gas off the old way that will that that's going to get thinner and thinner so keep going keep david keep going with this and uh thanks josh for having us i appreciate it yeah absolutely guys jeff thibodeau and uh darren langill of calgary and redline real estate thanks so much for joining us today guys thank you that was great